Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on our continued quest to become better, braver, happier painters. So before we get into the fantastic interview we have today, uh, a few quick announcements. The first is that Dan and I are super excited to announce that we will be helping host a class by Eric Swinson at Game Garrison, October 16th and 17th, 2021. It'll be a two-day class that is going to be covering painting a figure Morlock from Chimera Models. It's a 75 millimeter figure. So uh, email us at listening to paint dry for more information. And that's listening to paint dry at gmail.com. there are still a few seats available, uh, so if you hear this and want to take the class or in the area, please uh, quickly email me so that way we can get you set up and get a seat. The second announcement is that, um, as you may have noticed, we have not put out content in a little bit, and the reason why is originally we were going to do a Journey to Reapercon series, but some stuff has come up. Um, Dan made a decision that he is not going to be able to attend and that's all good. And so we decided that the episodes we had recorded for Journey to ReaperCon didn't make a lot of sense anymore. Um, and so we kind of pulled the plug on that and decided to, uh, gear up for some other things that we are excited about coming down the road. The third announcement is that, uh, be ready for a flood of content coming through. Uh, besides just today's interview with Chris Surhey, I have another interview that'll be coming out in a couple of days and I'll tell you more on the other side of this interview. Uh, also that, uh, we'll be having interviews, uh, all during ReaperCon, et cetera. And my goal is to get some, something out uh, every day I am there. So keep your eye out on our social medias at listening to paint dry on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook, as well as YouTube. Additionally, uh, we'll, we have a Twitter account at dry listening. So yeah, keep your eyes out on those. And hopefully, uh, if you're going to be at ReaperCon, uh, let me know so we can meet up and I can, uh, actually meet one of our six listeners. So that's That'll be awesome. And our guest today is Chris Surhey. He is an absolutely fantastic artist that um, if you do not follow on Instagram or Facebook as of yet, you're going to want to do so after you hear the interview and you will thank me later once you start browsing through his stuff. It is a rabbit hole of awesomeness and we're really excited to have a a fun conversation about painting, about the process, and uh, hopefully uh, Chris will make the decision to go ahead and go to ReaperCon too. So uh, without further ado... Chris Serhi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. You know, um, I, 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 it's really interesting. I've actually, um, a few years ago at the Nova Open, uh, Eric Swinson, uh, and I had a chance to talk to him and about some, you know, we were talking about all different kinds of artists and your name actually popped up. Um, and then I got a chance to look at your work and I've just been uh, continually blown away. I really appreciate that you would take the time to be here with us. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I always enjoy talking about mini art. It's nice to hear that uh, uh, Eric was talking about me. He and I go, go back a ways. He's a really great guy. Yeah, definitely. And he was on a few weeks ago and we're actually uh, one of the announcements that'll play before here is we're uh, coordinating a class for him in uh, Fredericksburg in October. So we're pretty excited about that. Oh, well, anyone that has a chance to go to that class absolutely should. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it's going to probably be fantastic. Actually, Eric is going to be coming to um, Warfare Weekend, which is in St. Louis, like at the beginning of November. So I signed up for all his classes. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I actually was just managed to get into one of his classes at ReaperCon in a few weeks, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm... anyways, we're here to talk about you, man. <laughs> well, no, no, that's a good. I mean, I only talk about everyone in the, the art industry. They're all such a good group of people. I, I'm actually like I'm like debating ReaperCon. Like, I got my ticket and I got my hotel room, but it's a long drive, and I just I haven't decided yet. Yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, my co-host just uh, dropped off. I dropped out uh, uh, a couple days ago. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not doing it." He was really kind of upset that all the classes sold out like within a blink of the eye. I don't yeah. even. I don't even think they got to regular admission before. You know, like they did the VIPs got two. You know, two days ahead of time. And I don't think. I thought from what I've heard, over ninety percent of the classes were gone before they got to regular admissions. Anyway. Oh, so, really? Holy yeah. cow! Well, I mean, that's that's good for them and good for attendance and yeah, and all that. Yeah, I'm. I mean, like I already got signed up for all Eric's classes at Warfare, and I mean, uh, I think he's doing something very similar between the two events. So, so yeah, going pretty good. No, absolutely. Yeah, to to you know, and I'm I'm looking forward to hanging out. I figured I'll wind up doing a lot of podcast work. See how many people I can grab interviews from while I'm there and stuff. You know. Sounds good. So I hopefully if you do decide to go, yeah, definitely let me know so we can meet face to face. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, if I if I make it down there, I will come look you up. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be the guy wandering around with the microphone. <laughs> What's that guy doing? But all right. So let's get let, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Can you tell us how you got started in the hobby? Um, yeah. So actually I got started in the hobby um mainly because so like back in the day. I was in the playing like War Machine. Like when it first came out, um, I was real interested in the game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Tried to play competitively to some extent for a while. Uh, but after I got done with residency and got into practice, um, like that time to go hang out with the guys and play games and stuff like that really started to kind of dwindle and dry up. But I still wanted to be involved. And so I started spending more and more time, like just painting my army and painting up the figures and then I started getting a little bit better at it. And then I was like, well, you know, I mean, maybe I can't play competitively, but I could start entering like the painting competitions and stuff like that. And that's right around the time that Privateer Press started doing their coin system. So like every year you had a chance to kind of like, you know, so like, like doing the open system. So like, you know, if you were like a bronze level painter, you got a bronze no matter how many people entered and stuff like that. So uh, like the first year or second year that they did it, uh, I took some figures and I got a bronze and that kind of like started me thinking, hey, maybe I can do some more of this. Well, that's awesome, man. I, I, I always, it's always interesting to me that um, I haven't met anybody yet who started just as a painter like and then got into the games it's always been get into the games and then paint <laughs> yeah I, I think that's i think that's probably the the what the entry drug for most of us right exactly now um were there any specific kind of techniques or challenges that you faced when you first decided you know hey i'm gonna up my game like what what um what kind of were you looking at um I guess when I first started thinking, okay, I wanted to up my game was me, was mainly with like the privateer press models. Like I said, you know, you, you know, you could like the first time I went, I got a bronze. And so I was like, okay, I want to work really, really hard here and try to figure this stuff out and maybe get a silver next year or something like that. And then keep working my way up. And a lot of it was trial and error at first. 
Um, it was a lot, you know, just a lot of like trying to figure out different combinations and things that look good together. Um, started kind of reading a little bit about art because my, mind you, my background is science. So I had very little art exposure. Um, you know, kind of getting the basics of color theory and stuff like that. And I want to say within a couple of years of that, um, a buddy that was doing some painting had taken a class with Alfonso mm -hmm. and had come back with the, uh, the idea of being fearless and just being bold and going for it. And so I started kind of taking that to heart. And so I just started trying to do things a little bit differently or a little bit more wild and not worrying about the results. And by having all those early mistakes, I started learning. Nice. That's excellent. Yeah. The, 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 it, it seems that you learn uh, 10 times more from a mistake than a success, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, obviously we love the su successes, right? Cause really, okay. Right. I, I accomplished something, but I mean, chances are, if you did it all right, then you didn't necessarily learn anything new. Right. Yeah. Didn't learn anything new. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's always, it's not a challenge, right? <laughs> That's right. part of part of the motivation, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I think the, I, yeah, I think there's like certain types of personalities and I think the, the more successful painters and that are usually the ones who just, it's not that they, you know, they don't fail, they fail all the time, but they are just determined to not let that beat them. And so they try again. What is kind of your favorite part of the artistic side of miniature painting? Uh, favorite part of the artistic side for me the favorite part would be be one of two things it either be the concept and like that mental exercise and brainstorming or the actual like building and composition of the piece mm -hmm. i i would say so um there are a lot of absolutely fantastic painters out there. Um, what I almost enjoy more is building the entire scene and painting it. Like, um, it's not that the paint is like secondary, but it's, it, it, to me, it's not necessarily, you know, it's one of the most important parts, but to me, it's like one of the ingredients. Like I, to, you know, like uh, you won't really necessarily see me paint like a ton of bust. And it's because to me, like I just paint the bust and then I'm like, okay, well, you know, that, that was it. But I enjoy more combining the elements, building the scene, showing what maybe something can be, um, something like that. Nice. And that actually, you know, that, that's a good kind of segue into this next question. Because um, I want to talk a little bit about your process because, uh, you know, there's uh, always artists out there that people remind you of. And like, I, I feel like, when I was describing your work to Dan uh, a, a few weeks ago before we reached out, uh, I kind of said to, to me, you, your artistic uh, to him that our, your artistic style is kind of like if Roman Laplatte and Oliver Spaeth honor guard had a baby. And so you oh, have wow. that narrative side and the composition side of it. Um, that's just amazing. I would love to like kind of pick your brain as to how you kind of put a piece together. Um, well, first, I mean, um, yeah, pardon my language, but holy shit, that's a huge compliment. Uh, I mean, those are two of my probably top favorite artists. And I mean, uh, uh, just, I kind of, 
I mean, for a lack of a better way, I mean, from my hobby career, I guess I be, I grew up like looking at what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I just absolutely adore uh, Roman uh, Roman's approach and Oliver's approach, um, and uh, I mean, actually, yeah, kind of going back to one those earlier questions, like you were saying, you know, like uh, you know, how did you kind of like progress and everything? Like as I was trying to get better and better at painting pieces for privateer press uh, competitions and stuff like that, I started like going through massive voodoo like daily and mm-hmm. trying to absorb everything I could that Roman put out there. Um, I mean, and that was right around the time I think he did the year of the painter. And so like they were, you know, him and, and Raff were putting out like articles like weekly or maybe even multiple times a week or something like that. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, anyway, that, that was a huge compliment. I'm sorry. What was that original question now again? Um, well, I, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, kind of how you approach a piece. Like, you know, I've noticed a few, a few things in your work. Maybe this will help kind of clarify uh, uh, the direction. So um, the piece you did for the brush, brush beast um, with the woman in the stew. Uh, yeah kind of a narrative a narrative story in that in that build and then uh not long after that i believe it was a kind of a rabbit figure that you posted that you were working on the build for and trying to make decisions about um and so i guess what i'm trying to pick out is like i guess maybe we'll start this way um what is a fuel for your projects like uh, what do you look like what do you look for when you start a miniature like Uh, what do i look for when i start a miniature so um I usually, it's a feeling or like an idea trying to connect to something maybe from like my past or, or just this, this kind of idea. So like, um, like let's take grandma, for example, that that's the picture, the piece with like the lady in the stew and stuff like that, which is something I more recently did, Mm -hmm. um, under Alfonso's, uh, guiding hand. And, and it's actually one of the favorite things I've ever done. Um, but the idea where there was just to, I, you know, uh, just wanted to try to recreate that sensation that I had that, you know, that protective homey atmosphere that, you know, typically grandmas and moms and stuff like that kind of give you. Um, so always the first part of a project for me is like the brainstorming. That's, you know, like just going out there, not only looking at like, say, the miniatures that are available on a community, um, but then also trying to pull things off of Pinterest and stuff like that, that kind of create this, uh, the, the idea or the setting that I want. Um, along those lines, uh, a buddy a long time ago, um, James Craig, had uh, hmm. um, given me the, you know, uh, told me this idea that he does in his art class about like an inspiration bank. And, and literally this is basically this mental concept of like, just watching a movie or reading a book or seeing a picture and being like, Hey, that's a really cool image or a really cool thought. I'm just going to kind of put that back in the back of my head and just let it sit there and simmer. And you may never use it, or maybe you'll use it like five years later, but you kind of pull from that to get your, your project started later. Um, and so, you know, the inspiration can really kind of come from anywhere. But like, like I said, with grandma, it kind of came from just wanting to recreate this kind of like home feeling atmosphere. Um, now, did you have the miniature before that or was it something you know, that you saw and you're like, okay, I got to do the, I got to get that. No, I mean, I think really the, if I, if, 
if I remember, I actually got my, my sketchbook here with me. I think the real first idea was uh, just wanting to create the kitchen, yeah, like a kitchen type atmosphere with like a little fire in it, trying to create that kind of almost like a hobbit hole or something like that, like a hobbit kitchen or something. Uh, and then I went searching through minis and I definitely have a thing for, for like big child creatives style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going through there. I'm like, oh, hey, look, the, the, you know, the like dwarf here that's cooking and everything. Like she actually just fits perfectly the way she is. So, or, um, so uh, I mentioned that to my wife and she got it for me for Christmas. And uh, soon after that, I started building the project. And you know, when you, when you build a piece like that, you have like kind of a basic idea of the main things you want to have in it. So like for her, it was like, okay, I definitely want to create like a kitchen atmosphere. It's going to need to have a fireplace. It's going to need to have like a table with the soup on it and have her, but that, you know, those were like the key elements that only had to be present. Everything else kind of just started getting built and tweaked and built and, you know, tweaked as I needed. Right. You needed bread. There's no, you got to have mama's kitchen with bread. You're absolutely right. That was actually, you know, part of it as I'm building it, I'm like, you know, what are those smells you associate with like, you know, the warm kind of homey kitchen as like bread, bread and pie, you know? Right. So exactly. Now, did you sculpt those yourself or? No, I stole them. <laughs> I, I totally swiped them from my daughter's uh, like uh, dollhouse set. <laughs> Okay. I can't lie. I've done it too. I've like, I've been clean. My kids are older now. They're at, at 12 through 17. And so cleaning up, I found all these like poly pocket pieces and a couple of yeah. times Lego has had some stuff that I'm like, okay, I'll take that too. And yeah, so I yeah, just nothing, throw them into a bin. <laughs> right. Yeah. Nothing wrong with them. I mean, you can, you can literally pretty much paint anything, right? You give it a base coat of spray paint and put some paint on it. I mean, you know, if it's a, uh, if it's going to be like a key figure that people are really going to go examine and look at it, then, you know, maybe it won't be good enough quality, but for something that's kind of just in the background or something like that, you can, you can put some paint on there and you make them believe it. Right. Absolutely. I think I'm debating about bringing a piece I did to ReaperCon, which is uh, I found a Jack Jack in the dollar store. Uh-huh. And I was like, this, God, this paint job is so bad. And my 12 year old well went, well, repaint it and I went well I could you know <laughs> and so I bought it and I repainted it well, so yeah I was like is it, I bring um, <laughs> oh who did it recently was it was it Patricia um like Patricia uh, Sancho or Sanchez I, for, I forgot her last name or or is it Natalia I think one of, one of the two of them took one of those um what is that 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 female magician that was kind of associated with uh Batman the Zendaya or something like that but they right. like literally took one of those statues mm-hmm. and repainted it and it was phenomenal like oh, I mean to it totally up. elevated it I mean so I mean there's nothing wrong with painting I mean we're pretty much painting toys anyway right I mean right. so yeah there's nothing wrong with that absolutely absolutely I mean, heck, I mean since you uh you guys had interviewed Alfonso one time I don't know if he mentioned it but like one of the exercises he you know has on his website uh, one of the videos you can see is just basically repainting Disney infinity figures from that old video game, you know, right. It's like a fantastic exercise because it just teaches you the basics of volumes. Right. Um, and I think didn't massive voodoo, didn't they Roman run yeah. a, a contest for that too? They, they did. I actually won that contest. <laughs> nice. What piece yeah. was it that won? 
Um, I took, uh, what's her name? Uh, Merida. Um, and I kind of tore her up and painted her and gave her a story because I thought maybe Roman would appreciate that. And the story is uh, not, or not all, what was, yeah, not all Indians are happy. And mm. so instead of her saving her mom and her dad and stuff like that, the demon bear actually consumes them. And so she ends up becoming like a barbaric bear killing machine. And so it's like her, but war paint on, switched out her bow. Um, those like little will-o'-wisps that go with her, they burn red instead of blue because of her anger. Right. And, and so, yeah, like, uh, yeah. And it, it actually won uh, first place. So I was pretty proud. That was one of my, one of my first big accomplishments, I think. That's awesome. That's a belated congratulations. That was a few years ago. <laughs> that was right when I was getting back into the hobby. Um, and so I kind of missed a bunch of stuff. Like, I feel like uh, that. Uh, so I've been back in the hobby about uh, five years now, I guess. Uh-huh. So uh, there was like a chunk of stuff that I keep hearing about that was kind of right around that time before I, I figured out uh, that there was kind of a world of painting and, you know, take i i kind of when i got back into it i took uh a single the games workshop guys uh convinced me to go try taking a class at the nova open Uh um and so when i saw the display case there i was like holy crap what's going on and then they have a roman they had a display of all the roman stuff and i'm like wow you know you start you start seeing what it can actually be like i mean yeah. You know, there's, there's like, you know, there's uh, painted figures and, and they're all different levels of art, but then you see some of the things like, you know, like Ben or Roman or like Alfonso, Mark, I mean, any number of guys accomplish and you're like, this is, this is like legit art, you know, it's like really impressive. Right. And then, you know, and that's why I always, when, when the, usually the first person I show though, uh, when people like, kind of like oh yeah art i kind of sh- i go to Kirill Kirill's uh instagram oh, yeah. page and i'm like yeah it's art yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now i've been showing people the eric stuff more and more too because this oh, yeah. his stuff is just getting insane oh it is uh, yeah i mean he's i mean you know he's just on this like what like meteoric rise upward he's doing i mean it just gets better and better and better and you know i'm privileged enough to be a friend of his and you know we chat and stuff like that we bounce ideas off each other and so i've seen some of the stuff he's got like brewing and everything and it's just i mean it's impressive absolutely absolutely now but let's talk let's again go back to you because um one of the things i i I love about your 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 bases is uh, your color choices and um in like let's say the mama's kitchen one and what I'll, what we'll do when we post uh with your permission when we uh announce the episode um we'll use like some of your pictures if that's okay to announce sure. the episode um yeah that's fine and i'll and i've learned how to tag things and watermark now so we'll they'll definitely let know that that they're your work so they won't be confused but uh i i noticed that in that one because you're looking for that that homey feel there were a lot of uh, warm colors it's kind of more like there's a warm feeling uh, to it um yeah. so t- can you talk kind of a little bit about how you uh, work with colors or uh, make color decisions sure um i would say usually the first thing i kind of do is so i um I, w- I would say i think i'm a lot more of like a like a diorama painter an atmospheric type painter 
stuff like that. Like I'm trying to generate a feeling. Um, I'm not your, I'm not like a great technical painter. Like, you know, I mean, you can look at stuff like, like, you know, like Eric does and it's incredibly well blended, beautiful, non-metal metallic. And I'm more interested in that kind of raw feeling generating that. So, mm -hmm. so the first one is really just like, what is that main feeling that you want? So like in grandma, like you were saying in grandma's kitchen, I want it to be homey. I want it to feel warm, inviting. So painting it in a cold palette would kind of be counterproductive to that. So now it's like, okay, well, you know, I want to paint in warm colors. What type of colors is that going to be? It's going to be like, you know, oranges, yellow, reds, some purples, stuff like that. Um, so then it became, okay, well, you know, what colors are, would you associate it with, you know, kind of being an indoor kitchen? And then it started becoming a lot more like, well, it's going to be fall or Christmas colors, but I didn't really want to do the Christmas thing. So we kind of steered a little bit more away from the red and green and just went with like, you know, fall colors, like oranges and yellows uh, and things like that. And then once that's picked, once you kind of get that main core of color, then you start picking like complements. Um, and setting up your color scheme for like the rest of the, of what's going to be kind of going on. Um, like for instance, uh, like a, one of my older pieces, probably one that I first kind of put me on the radar type thing was a piece called How to Train Your Dragon. And, and in that one, there's this big dragon from Carol Rudick uh, and then there's like this, this kind of mage-like female with it. Um, and the dragon was going to be associated with the water. So I went with like a blue on it. But then to contrast directly with that, to make it, make it pop, I put like orange with it. And that's mainly what the woman is painted in. So you got, got this kind of contrast before, between the two of them. And then it also kind of plays out nice because uh, cold colors tend to be kind of appear or feel lighter. Um, and, and warm colors tend to have more of like a presence. So even though she's a smaller figure, the fact that she's mainly an orange just makes her feel kind of bigger, you know, when related with the dragon and stuff like that. Um, so I guess to kind of go back to your question, really the first part is just, just trying to get that overall feeling and what color would be associated with that type of feeling. So like, you know, uh, like with, you know, grandma's kitchen, it's with that warmth that's orange. Um, let's say I wanted to do something that was more maybe eerie or you know mystical then it'd probably be more like a turquoise or something like that because that's kind of associated with like magic and stuff like that if you want to go with something that's maybe a little bit more sickly or disgusting then you're probably looking at like some type of green and then you know from there i would pick colors that complement those to set the rest of the environment okay so it is that i guess that's what, what always intrigues me because you say um, you have more of a science background and so not an art background. Do you mm -hmm. find that these things that you're learning in the world of art are now becoming more second nature or do you feel like you still are uh, kind of purposely or methodically making these kind of decisions or is it just kind of like does like the color wheel just kind of come to you and you go? The color wheel kind of comes to me anymore, but it's, it's definitely still this conscious decision. Um, and, and there's definitely times too, where I'll be painting something and I'll be like, this totally isn't working. Why is this not working? And then go back into like the thought process and be like, well, you know, maybe this purple that I'm using is more red than it is blue. And I really need, you know, like the blue, the contrast with the orange. So maybe instead of using this red purple, I need to go with more of a blue purple and it kind of plays off that. So the, there is, th that's kind of thing like, um, to people who are not in art, 
there seems to be this almost mystical, magical sense of like, how did they create this? You know, why does this thing make me feel that way? But there's a real science to it too. Like um, certain colors we associate with certain things and then certain colors are paired with other colors. Like, you know, if something's got blue, then usually there's an orange somewhere. Uh, if you have green, there's usually a red hidden somewhere. And, and so you can make these scientific choices to, to kind of help you. Um, along those lines too, something else that, you know, that I really kind of enjoy uh, in building dioramas or something like that is this idea of composition. Um, so composition is this idea that our brain looks for patterns in a picture and by put, placing miniatures in certain ways or in certain positions, um, in certain spots of a diorama, you're more likely to focus on them and they're more likely to feel like they have more of a presence. And this is something you actually see done in movies all the time, like, you know, especially like good quality movies, like, um, literally last night my wife and I are watching Jaws mm -hmm. and there's that scene uh where Jaws is basically making the second attack on the beach where he gets the little kid and then they zoom in on Brody and his wife is behind him and the horizon is directly like even with his like shoulders and it's the idea of creating this cross like figure on the screen because it makes you focus even that much more on Brody's face to see that shock um mm -hmm. Yeah, doing those type of things, like when you build a diorama, is, is something else that's you know very scientific, but you know that I feel like uh, kind of helps me out when I when I do my pieces. How often do you have to kind of scrap a build, or, or have you had to scrap a build? Um, I get uh, well. I, let me so let me ask you to clarify real quick. What do you mean by scrap a build? Do you mean like I totally set the project aside and never come back to it, or I have to rebuild it? Um, well, let's start with the first one that you, okay. you're like, okay, this one, yeah, this isn't coming to life. <laughs> so, totally scrapping a project um, probably happens about every third project to almost maybe every other project. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's been a lot, um, mm -hmm. especially not really the last year, but the year before that or so, there was quite a bit of it. Like, um, like there, there was a period of time after like the last crystal brush and then like uh, and up until now that I felt like I kind of lost my way of what I really wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was, a, there was a lot of projects that would get started and I'd be like, I freaking hate this. And, and I just stop. And, and I think part of one of the lessons I've learned over the last couple of years is you just got to paint what you like. Like you, you just have to work with the subjects and you have to paint the things you like. Um, just because, you know, maybe something else is a competition you can enter or do something like that. If you're not enjoying it, then there's really no point in doing it because you're probably not going to produce anything that's, that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, now going to the second part, how many times have I started a project and then had to like rip it apart or rebuild it or something like that? Uh, pretty much every damn project. <laughs> I mean, uh, like to give you some examples. Um, I, I can give you like two good examples, I think. So one project, um, going back to that one project that I talked about, the uh, how to train your dragon. Mm -hmm. That thing I ripped apart and rebuilt. I don't know how many times um, I had to literally cut that dragon up. And it's, mind you, not the not to sound, I, I don't know, pompous or something like that. But, you know, this was a dragon I brought from, bought from Carol and it was like over $200. I mean, it's an expensive right. dragon and everything. And I literally butchered the thing. I mean, I just cut it into tons of pieces and stuff like that. And 
you know, I would have to like, I build it, I would start painting it. Then I'd realize a part didn't work. Like it didn't look correct or something like that. Have to break it off, re, you know, re-sculpt something, reattach something, paint it again, stuff like that. Um, one of the, one of the best lessons that piece told, taught me was um, to just, uh, you know, to, to be bold and to, to keep moving forward because it has a like resin water effect with it. Mm-hmm. And I poured that resin and I mean, mind you, I had done numerous trials to make sure I was going to get this right. And I poured that resin. It's like, it's, I remember it was near Christmas, pour the resin. I let it set for two days because it's a fair amount of resin. And I tried to take the border off from around it and it would not come off. I oh. literally had to get a scalpel and slice it off over several hours and then sand it down and everything. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, yeah. it's, you know, so we, we all have those setbacks. I mean, every, everyone does. I mean, um, yeah, I did a resin pour one time and I let it sit for two days and I came back and it looked like it had a sinkhole in the middle of it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. how is that even possible? Like, I'm like, I'm literally getting ready to do a resin pour on a new piece for, for another artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrified to do it because I don't want to fuck up everything I've already done. Yeah, you know, I, my, one of the, I'm, I'm doing three pieces for ReaperCon and I really, for, for me, I've basically like thrown caution to the wind and everything that I've done. Cause I, I, I never really done non-metallic metals and one piece is almost entirely non-metallic metals and including copper, which is like, Hey Mike, why don't you start with the most difficult one? Of <laughs> um, and then another one I'm doing is of a Reaper uh, female pirate um in a champagne glass that i bought from the dollar store and uh-huh. so i kind of built up a beach and put palm trees in it and i broke one hat one side of it off to have so my goal is to kind of have water like cascading over the edge uh-huh. and i like i have literally sat in front of it for like hours with the uv resin ready to go and i'm like i can't do it i yeah. can't do it yet i'm not ready <laughs> you know yeah, i hear you <laughs> i mean to to give another example of like having to tear down and redo a project Mm -hmm. so i have a piece that i i think i can now say it's done i just recently finished it and it's a piece that has taken over a year to do Mm -hmm. and it's a piece i started and i was building it and then i started doing coaching with alfonso um and and basically the first time i showed it to alfonso he, he was basically like this is not good it's like, it's just, it is just not good. And so he kind of presented me with, you know, the, he's like, you can keep going forward, but it's, it's not going to be good. Or you can take the time to redo it and make it into something better. And so I, I like literally destroyed the entire base, rebuilt everything, redid all this type of stuff. And I'm incredibly happy I did because it, it, I, I think it might be, it might be the, my favorite thing I've done at this point, like grandma was my favorite up until now. And now there's definitely a competition between her and this. Oh, nice. Very cool. I think if Alfonso told me that I needed to stand on my head and paint, I would stand on my head. and paint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, like I've been doing coaching with him for just under a year at this point, And mm-hmm. it's been amazing. Like it's, uh, um, I mean, I, I get the impression that sometimes people go to him for coaching and maybe they don't, they don't follow what he's telling them. And I went mm-hmm. in with the attitude is like, whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. If he tells me to dump the thing in like, you know, black ink, I'll do it. You know, I just, I want to learn what he does and stuff like that. Yeah. And in it, it really, I was saying like earlier how I felt kind of like lost. It really has put me back on track. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I mean, honestly, I feel like, I feel like starting from October, I've produced maybe not more things, but everything I'm turning out at the moment, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty happy with this. That's awesome. That's huge. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, we had uh, James uh, Craig a few, a uh, few episodes ago on the show. And uh, he, one of the things he said that the number of people that won categories or awards in the brush beasts that are actually uh, Banshee's private coaching studio students, he's like, it's mind boggling. <laughs> oh, it is. It's no, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, let's talk yeah. about somebody at the top of top of their game, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's, I, um, you know, I, I think I told, I think I told him one time or in, and maybe mentioned it to some other folks in there. There are definitely a lot of really, really good painters out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not necessarily a lot of good painters out there that are also good teachers and, and correct good at both. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's where you find like too, like uh, a Roman Laplace is yeah. a, and probably like, you know, when, when I saw him, uh, dump, uh, wash directly on a base, I'm like, I'm sold. I'm in, I'm <laughs> in. And he's sitting there moving it around with his hands and, you know, fingers and not even using a brush. And I'm like, I'm in, yeah. this is, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Like he, Roman one time did that, uh, did that monkey bust all in, um, or maybe it's actually technically a knife, but like an eight bust all by finger paint. I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That is, that is one painter that I have never met that I, I just dream of meeting someday. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, you know, we can get you over to the NOPA open uh, yeah, yeah. next no, that's, year. That's my goal for next year. I was really wanting to go, actually the piece I just finished, mm-hmm. I had originally painted with the idea that I'd be taking it to NOVA this year. Right to the Capitol palette. Yeah. 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 It's a great, it's a great uh, painting competition for sure. There's so many good pieces. My co-host actually, um, I don't know, given the nature of what's going on with the, with that, I don't know. Um, but in the past couple of years, he's actually uh, run the Capitol Palette. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I got a lot of insight into how they, you know, like all that, where they place things, et cetera, things and how that whole process works. And it's interesting, um, yeah. but it's a great little, it's a, definitely a great show. It um, is, yeah. So, you know, it, it's funny, um, what you were talking about tearing down a building, I'm looking over on, uh, you, you can't, it, I can't show it um but on my case one of my cases i have all of my um rebuilds and stuff so i did a piece for capital palette a few years ago that i had two little girls looking at each other it was the marie lafleur figure um from mr lee and it was kind of like happy it was called the thing she sees one side is happy one side is sad i rebuilt uh, i built that base for it i have 13 of them (laughs) <laughs> until I got to the final one that was like okay I have to be done <laughs> or yeah. paint, paint will never be on this <laughs> yeah I'm like literally uh my cases are in the in my studio here with me where mm-hmm. uh, where we're do- where I'm doing this and I'm like literally looking at the bottom right now and I was like yeah I see one two three four five six seven it looks like seven unfinished projects mm-hmm. nice Nice. Very nice. That's, uh, that's good. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad others are out there that are struggling or like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I got all this stuff to do. <laughs> um, so a little bit about paint choices, um, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a, a, a switching gears there, but uh, I'm curious, one of the big things in 
the hobby world right now, you see like tons of YouTube videos about universal shadow and highlight colors. Are there colors that kind of make their way on your palette uh, often, or do, are you more of like the uh, heavy body acrylic type artist? Um, you mean like particular brands or particular like hues? Um, it could be either, you know, whatever, okay. whatever works for, for you. So, um, blue, as far as hues go, blue and turquoise always seem to make it into all my pieces. Like my wife will literally all the time. She'll usually like, oh, I see it's the same color. <laughs> like that. Um, so, I mean, in, in, in other, you know, friends have mentioned that and that too. I think I'm kind of getting a little bit more away from that with Alfonso. Um, cause I'm just getting more comfortable, um, when it comes to like brands, I mean, if you'd asked me this question like a year or two ago, I probably would be like, oh no, I just use like Camir and skill 75, but I've, I mean, Alfonso has really kind of got me like pulling paints from everywhere for different effects. I'm, I'm like, I'm starting to feel a lot more comfortable seeing not only what the color is, but the texture of that paint is, you know, the, mm -hmm. How, how glossy or how flat it is. I, you know, I'm starting to get more used to those, those ideas. So I find myself now just constantly reaching for all different types. Yes, do you, uh, I know uh, one of the things I remember from Alfonso's class was uh, he was talking about, because I did a bus painting class with him. Um, uh -huh. He talked about like, you know, learning your paints are do you rub the paints in your fingers too like <laughs> i always i always like rub the yeah. paint in my finger to see what the texture is like usually after a paint section or a paint uh, session my mm -hmm. left forefinger and thumb are all different colors nice so I'll, be, I'll, like, I'll brush them on there um you know i'll brush them on paper to kind of see how they're going to react on that um i mean and there, there are i mean like kind of going back to what you know rowan was doing with figure painting i mean there's literally pieces i mean uh, that I have, like, I painted with my fingers on them. Like, uh, uh, this most recent one that I've been working on, there's definitely parts of the background where I just basically slapped some paint on and then took my fingers and used it to smear it and, and do stuff like that. Um, on grandma's, I guarantee some of those rocks probably have, like, places where I put paint and then I smeared it around with, like, my thumb or something. Nice. Nice. I love it. I, I love that using everything that's out there for you, you know, including yeah. your fingers for sure. Um, now, one of the things I'd like to do with our guests, this is a relatively new um, segment, but it, I, the goal is to kind of be fun. Um, uh -huh. we, call, we call it the lightning round. Okay. And so the purpose of it is I'll ask a question um, and you just give me the first thought that's off the top of your head and uh, we'll, we'll keep moving from there. I'm not gonna, I'm not strict on time or anything along those lines, but it's just kind of see a gut reaction. Okay. Sure. All right. So we'll start with an easy one that I already gave you. When was the last time you drank your paint water? Uh, I mean, if we're talking from the brush, then probably like about two hours ago. <laughs> no, I mean the accident, like, whoops, crap. Oh. I just drank from my paint cup. <laughs> yeah, actually, I probably haven't done that in several months because I right. usually tend to, yeah, I tend to drink Gatorade when I'm painting and that's in a bottle. So nice. So you take precautions is what you say. <laughs> yeah. um, so the gods of the brush have now descended upon you and said, you can only paint with one paintbrush for the rest of your life. What paintbrush is it? In what size? Uh, Windsor Newton Series Seven Kalinsky Sable, size one. Size one. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, so then we'll ask this question: um, inks, heavy body acrylics, or model paints? You only get to choose one. Where are you going? Um. Probably the heavy body acrylics then. 
Nice, nice. I, I'm starting. I've been using those a lot more myself as well. Yeah. All right. Now here's the tough one: non-metallic metal or true metallic metal, and why? Oh boy, that really depends on the circumstance. But I think in general, I tend to do non-metallic metals anymore um, because I like the. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm definitely a bit of a control freak, and so I like being able to dictate that that shine. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, I'm becoming a lot more comfortable with non-metal metallics. And so I'm doing them a lot more and more. Nice. Nice. All right. See, easy. The lightning round is always pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is there anything out there? Like, is there a miniature out there um, that you have it that you would like to get that you want to paint? Or is there something from uh, genre or lore that you would like to see be made that hasn't been made yet? And I always give the example of, uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower series. I would love to see the mini miniatures for his characters, especially uh, the, based on the the Jay Lee graphic novel. Oh, okay. So yeah, if I can do that, um, you know what? Then I want to see Critical Role brought to life. Are you familiar with that? I am not actually. I'm gonna have to so, look that up. Yeah, I will. I will give a quick like. Not, I don't. I shouldn't say plug. They don't need a plug for me or anything like that. Critical Role is a uh, podcast um, where, as they would put it, a group of nerdy-ass nerdy voice actors play D&D. And it's a group of six of them or so. Nice. And they play D&D with their you know, voice actor, you know, you know, using that to make their characters and everything. And it's just, it, it takes me back to those days where I used to play D&D with my friends in high school because mm -hmm. it's that wonderful combination of trying to actually do something and play this game and then absolutely doing the absolute most absurd stupid shit as your character. Nice. And so and so like you know they've got a character like one of them from their most recent campaign that they finished, you know, there was like a human wizard that was a guy but he had like books strapped to his side kind of like a you know almost like guns uh, his magic books um, there was like a, a tiefling, um, uh, one of them that was kind of like the court gesture type and wore all these wild clothes. Um, there was actually a thief that was actually a goblin. Um, I mean, just very unique character generation. And nice. I would just like, I would like to see that brought to life. I think that'd be really cool. It's what you know, it actually, have you ever heard of Hello from the Magic Tavern? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah. So basically, it's it's a it's a guy gets lost, uh, accidentally falls through a portal behind a Burger King drive-through, and he goes basically into a fantasy world where it's a lot of the same type of character. It's not they don't play Dungeons and Dragons, but you can tell that the guys who wrote this play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, and I struggle like because I, I have to I had to somebody look, told me, oh, yeah, it's a tiefling. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. So I had to look up what a tiefling was. Yeah, yeah. basically, uh, it's a cross between a, a human and if they, you know, had a had a relationship with like a demon and, uh, and they gave birth. It's like a basically demon human hybrid. Right. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And that's uh yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I was never allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> my, uh, my mom thought I. I, I Go ahead. I'm sorry. They thought it, yeah, they thought it was like the the pact with the devil or whatever. Well, yeah, it was because it was, you know, when I was uh, around that age, it was uh, satanic panic time. And yeah. So, yep. you know, no, uh, I, 
I, I'm a little, I, I'm suspecting I'm a little bit younger than you, but mm-hmm. that was still kind of floating around. Like my, my, my parents were not pleased. Like right. they, you know, they're like, I guess, I mean, at least you're being social. So, but I mean, I, I you know, yeah, they didn't, they definitely don't like it. So. Right. You know, and th- th- my parents let my older brother do it, but they didn't think I had the mental capacity to withstand, you know, I, they, they thought I'd be sacrificing. And so when uh, they went to a game store uh, in, in um, the mall by where I lived, uh, the guy asked me why I wasn't over at the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't really play it. And he's like, well, what about this? And that's when the first time he somebody handed me a box of Rogue Trader One Space Marines. And so, <laughs> you know, I was like, that's my, there's my origin story right there. Um, <laughs> You know, I bought a box of 30 Space Marines for $15. I mean, God, what those were the days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you can get one for 35, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's so, so much has changed for sure. Um, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, but the one of the things that I always like to ask, our motto is better, braver, and happier. And so I was hoping that you could uh, lay some advice down on our listeners as they continue their journeys to become better, braver, happier painters. Um, actually that's, that's pretty much perfect right there. Right. I mean, if you want to be a better painter, all you really have to do is, you know, pick things that you're happy with. Cause you'll probably keep working on them. And, um, I definitely, you know, believe in being brave and bold and what you're painting. Like, like try new things. If it doesn't work out, who cares? It's, it's a little plastic toy, you know? Um, even when you kind of get further along and you're like doing competitions and that, okay, so you paint something, take it to a competition. Maybe it doesn't work out. Does it really matter? No, because there's going to be another competition, you know? I mean, uh, like for me, like when, when there was still crystal brush around and all that type of stuff, it was never really about going there and being like, you know, oh, I'm going to try to like win this. Cause I mean, you know, you're taking on Europeans that are, you know, have, thousand times my experience and stuff like that that was never gonna happen but it was being able to go there and be like hey look look at this thing i did you know and just having that that ability to the show and stuff like that so i mean i think you should always take the risk you know it, you know sometimes it'll fail sometimes it'll work but you'll learn something every time nice i appreciate it yeah that's there's, there's no there's there's only rewards right there's really yeah. no because it's like you said it's a it's just a piece of plastic or a resin you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean in you know if you if you do something and it doesn't work out it doesn't fulfill the idea that you had it doesn't mean it was a bad idea maybe just try doing it a different way right and i will say this too that um just kind of sub-referencing what you had said before about you know you had that carol rudyuk uh, dragon that you chopped up the the number of conversations that I've had with people they're like oh yeah I bought this like you know $200 piece and I was like taking a dremel to it and I'm like my heart like stops you know <laughs> like, whew, and no, like like literally when I did that like okay so I remember that day like vividly and uh, you know I was uh, uh, I was doing a lot of conversations with like Kat Martin and, uh, mm-hmm. and Seth Watkins at that point nice. and so you know, I was like, hey, do you think this is something? I like hold up this like, you know, the little like mage girl next to the dragon. Do you think this could be something? Like, they're like, yeah, yeah, I think that could be something that, that might actually work. And then I cut the dragon up and like I lay it out on the table in like, you know, eight, 10, 15 different pieces or something like that. Take a picture and I literally send the picture to them. I'm like, what the hell did I just do? 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that, that's that. That would be me right there. I don't know if that drove if they if if it would actually the, the cutting would ever happen. You know, um, yeah. uh, when I get back from ReaperCon, I have a commission uh, for a friend to do his uh, resin Forge World smog. Uh -huh. um, which is like 17 pounds of resin and in all of the joints where everything goes there's like built up resin and I uh -huh. know I'm gonna have to take a dremel to it and like every time <laughs> I think about it I start I have to grab a paper bag I start hyperventilating I'm like that's a $500 model <laughs> yeah, yeah. I admit, like I have looked at that model a couple of times and I'm like oh yeah that'd be kind of cool to paint and then I see the price tag it's like it's not that cool no, if he, yeah, I would have never bought it, but uh, yeah, no, the, the, he wants it for a piece. He runs a game store, so he wants it as like kind of a centerpiece. Sure. Um, and I'm like, all right, but you know, it's not getting painted until after September. So <laughs> <laughs> we're sure we'll, Chris, where can our listeners find your work? Um, you can, uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Putty and Paint. Um, if you want to see some of like my uh, pieces, you, you can look under d.vader there. Um, but actually probably the best place to go is just Instagram. And on there, it's just Chris underscore Surrey. That's S-U-H-R-E underscore miniature underscore art. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely put links in the show notes and when we announce the episode. So, but yeah, thank you again so much. It was a, such an honor to have you on the show with us. Oh, no, the uh, honor and fun was mine. Thank you. Dan and I would like to thank Chris Suri for joining us today. Really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy schedule to share his painting journey with us. Um, he's a fantastic artist and, of course, was an awesome guest. You could follow him on Instagram at Chris underscore Surhi underscore miniature underscore art. We'll put a link to the show in the show notes. And also, just so you know, his last name is spelled S-U-H-R-E. Uh, again, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it was wonderful having you. Hopefully, we'll be able to meet you at ReaperCon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Listening to Paint Dry. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Dry Listening. If you don't have a podcast player and still want to follow along with the show, uh, you could follow us also on YouTube where it's Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, where all of our shows are up there. It is an audio format, so it is great for you to listen and paint along. You can also drop us a line at Listening to Paint Dry at gmail.com. Remember, if you're interested in taking the class taught by Eric Swinton, at Game Garrison in Fredericksburg, Virginia, October 16th through 17th, 2021. Please email us again. That's listening to paint try at gmail.com for more information and to register. But hurry up. Uh, seats are filling up pretty fast. So uh, it's going to be a great class and a lot of fun. We'll be back in a couple of days, actually, with, with an inter another interview with uh, the fantastic Lila Mev Mini Witch. Uh, she uh, spent some time with us the other day, and we're really excited to bring that interview out. Plus, there will also be a ton of uh, ReaperCon episodes uh, coming out, as well as some awesome interviews that I've already pre-scheduled. So hopefully those will take place, and we'll get those pumped out very quickly. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, every painting journey starts with the first brushstroke. You could become a better, braver, happier painter. Thank you so much. Until next time. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPTWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. 
Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.